And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is C.A. Knubel, comedian and author, who during her near-death experience, time traveled to her past and saved herself, which we're going to learn about today and more. C.A., thank you for joining me and welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. If you don't mind, I guess we can start on the day it happened, or do you need some backstory first? I think we can just start on the day it happened. Okay. Uh, so at, at the time, I had just started college. I left 10 days after high school. I was still 17. Um, I live in Philadelphia, and I went to college two and a half hours away in the Poconos to Bloomsburg. And uh, it was kind of the first time I was, you know, not underneath my mom's wing. I had two older sisters, so I was always, you know, kind of living in their shadow. And this was the time for me to kind of step out and be great, you know. Um, I used to sit outside of the coffee shop because it was next to the library a lot. Um, just because that kind of kept me on track. I love to read. So I was always around books and it kept me distanced from, you know, my roommate and stuff so that I could get my work done. And I'd always see the same guy there. Um, he was middle-aged. If I was 17, he was probably about 35. It wasn't abnormal for me to see someone older there because a lot of, um, the older people in the area commuted to the school. Um, but I'd see him all the time. We'd make, you know, small talk, um, just a regular guy. But I noticed now when I look back that that should have been a red flag that he was always there when I was there. At the time, it wasn't. Um, the night of my NDE, I was leaving the library a little later than normal because, of course, I'm a procrastinator and I had some work I had to get done. So as I was leaving, I noticed the guy, named him T, um, I noticed him leaving as well, held the door open for me. You know, we're making small talk on the way out. And it was kind of cold. It wasn't necessarily winter, but there was still some snow on the ground. And it was definitely cold enough for me to dread the walk home. Um, so he offered me a ride to my dorm. And I accepted because I didn't see anything out of the normal. My dorm wasn't that far. Um, and it saved me a walk. I was lazy. So um when we got into the car and I pulled out my phone to let my roommate know it was on my way, he snatched it out of my hand. And it was, you know, right then I was like, okay, this is not good. Um, it ended up being in total probably about six hours in the car up and down the highway um, with him just constantly trying to break my spirit. You're not going home. No one knows where you are. You're going to die you know, um, you deserve this, that kind of stuff. And I don't like to get too into detail with the things that he said, just because it's irrelevant. Obviously it didn't work. Um, I'm pretty fiery like my mom. So <laughs> I kept pulling off onto, um, in the Poconos, there's roads off the highway that kind of surrounded by guardrails. Um, and it led up to a path in the woods and he tried two other times to pull me from the car but I was not having it. You know, I'm kicking, punching, fighting. Like, I'm not leaving this car at all. You're going to take me home, even though I knew he wasn't. Um, but the third time, you know, I, I was just done, tired, and I, I didn't want to fight anymore. So he had a knife, and I let him pull me from the car. 
and he led me into the woods um, and we went pretty deep in there. And I, I'm trying to not get too far into detail with this whole part, just because number one, it's painful to think about and talk about, but number two, it's not relevant to the next portion. <laughs> so um, he, he obviously assaulted me most of the night and tortured me with nice play throughout pretty much the entire night. Um, and it comes back in flashes for me still because I didn't learn about this part of my trauma until this year. This was 10, 13 years ago at this point. Um, up until this year, I thought I was just kidnapped. And I remembered following what I considered my mother home because the form of light that I followed looked like my mother, you know, long blonde hair, um, just it looked like her without a face. And at the time I just thought, you know, I'm, I'm crazy. You know, I was just traumatized. It's my brain trying to rationalize, you know, it was probably the moon and I was just misconstruing it or something like that. But, um, this year I went to the hospital because I made an attempt on my own life. And it was when I went to the hospital that the rest of these pieces got put together. Um, so when I went to the hospital this year, and I know I'm jumping, but there's a reason. When I went to the hospital this year, it was the first time I was completely alone with no distractions. Because up until that point, I was using, let's say, vices that are not exactly the healthiest, um, whether that be too many work hours or people constantly over or just some kind of distractions so that I didn't have to think about what happened to me. Because up until that point, I was embarrassed. You were 18 and you got kidnapped. That's a bit embarrassing. Um, but when I went to the hospital, there was no distraction. It was just me in an empty room for over 30 hours. And when I first got in there and they asked me if I wanted to sign myself out, because I could have, I started smelling trees. And for me, I have um, psychosis. So I hear music a lot. That's my symptom. Um, I like to explain it this way. It's kind of like a boss battle in a video game. You know, when you're entering a boss level and you start hearing that faint music and that's kind of how you know, that's kind of how mine is. It gives me that indicator that I'm feeling some kind of very strong emotion. So as soon as I got into the hospital, I started smelling trees and I started hearing music that was not normal to what I'm used to hearing. And I'm like ready to sign that paper to go home. And I'm like, this isn't good. This is not good. And I just, I dropped the pen and stayed. And I triggered for over 30 hours. I could not tell you what I did in that hospital because I was not there. And this is kind of where I fully wholeheartedly believe that I went back because it was during that time that I, and I just remember sitting down in the chair and then I was gone. I was in the woods and it was right back to the knife point leading into the woods where he had a knife against my stomach and a hand gripping my hair. And I'm watching myself with this man go into the woods. So I wasn't even watching it like I was there. I was watching it like I was watching a Lifetime movie on TV I didn't ask to see. 
So when I watched the attack, um, obviously there was some pretty deviant things, let's say, um, after that, that lasted for a really long time. And honestly, I think that was kind of the hardest part was to watch that because I was just a little kid to me. Um, To see yourself in that position, you just look pathetic. That's how I think of it. I wasn't, it wasn't my fault, but you know, you look pathetic and you hate seeing yourself like that. And during my attack, he basically like a villain story laid out exactly why I ended up there. And yeah, I just remember he had an obsession with my hair. He kept like brushing leaves out of my hair after he was done attacking me. And mind you, I'm laying there, my eyes are closed and I'm basically pretending that I do not exist because I knew at that point in time that I was probably going to die and there was nothing I could do. And when I um, am watching this and I'm watching him pull leaves out of my hair, he kept calling me baby and, and babe. And I still hate that word to this day. Every other word was babe. And basically he laid out how he had a flat tire when he was dropping something off for his mother at the school. And he saw me. And during the time he was watching me, I did not touch my phone at all. Nobody came to talk to me. I was an easy target because no one would be looking for me. And he wasn't wrong. Nobody knew where I was. Nobody even asked any questions when I got back because nobody was there. But after the attack, he was like leaning over me still and just brushing stuff out of my hair. And he mentioned my mother. And this is kind of where everything turned to my favor. Because number one, my mom is a very, very headstrong, tough woman. So when you mention her to me and I'm, you know, how we laid it out was, what would your mother think if she could see you now? And that's exactly what you don't say to someone like me. Because it literally fueled a fire in me and completely, I was ready to give up at that point. I had given up. And then he mentioned my mother and I'm like, wait a minute, I can't die here. There are people waiting for me. Like my mother would never go down like this. And I just started my blood boiling. And, you know, I can, I'm watching this from, I don't even know where because I can't explain it. Because in reality, I'm in a hospital room 13 years and ahead of time. And instead, in that moment, there was a crunching of leaves. Because I started walking over there to get closer. Like, no, you're right. You can't die here. You got to get up. And I'm going towards myself. Like, get up. Fight. You know, do something. And when I was in that moment, when I look back, cause I did finish my trauma narrative and, you know, completely have the story from start to finish now. But in that moment, the reason that I survived was because there was, it sounded like someone was coming and it, like crunching, walking sounds. And he took off and happened to drop my phone out of his pocket. It was dead. So it was irrelevant to whether or not I survived, but having that phone was, you know, kind of, the reason I couldn't report anything to the police, if I didn't get that phone back and he still had it, let's say in his pocket, or even if he ditched it in the woods, 
I could lead police back to that area. Maybe they could find something. When I say that I went back, this this is exactly why. It was how everything lined up after. The sound of footprints was the exact time that I started running towards myself. I watched him take off and I watched myself lay there like basically frozen because I was terrified to move because in that moment, I thought more people were coming and I thought this was about to get a lot worse than it was already. And mind you, I'm, my clothes are shredded. I have been tortured for hours. I'm in pain and I don't even want to move, but I had to get up. And it was in this moment that I saw the light that I thought at that time was my mother because it looked just like her. You know, it had long blonde hair, the same face shape. It was no face exact, you know, it doesn't have exact fine tune. You know, I can't see, hey, she's got green eyes, you know, but you could kind of see the shape of the face and just the shape of the body, the height wise, like that. And I just basically followed it and led myself out of the woods. Because when I went back, I remember guiding myself out of the woods. Like I remember looking at myself and watching myself get up and look at each other and then walk towards the exit and then towards the highway and then following the guardrails home side by side, just walked straight out. And it, it's insane to even think about, to talk about, because it's like, how is this even possible that this could happen? You know, that, that something like this is even possible. Because I never knew about astro projection. I didn't know, you know, honestly, again, until this year that any of this even happened, other than like guiding myself home out of the woods and, um, you know, being kidnapped. So it's just, it's, really interesting and strange to me. And I started doing a little bit more research to try to answer some of my own questions. Still haven't answered any of them and how it's possible because in a hospital view to them, I was absolutely feral. I was literally seeing and feeling and smelling and experiencing things that were not there to the point where after 30 straight hours, because that's how long this existed in the present day, they had to put me out. Because they just like could not handle it, you know, whatever I was going through or whatever I was experiencing, because I have absolutely no memory of that time in the hospital. All of my memories from that time in the hospital were me experiencing what already happened in the past. So that's really what I can remember and try to piece together. Um, like I said, for when it comes to my trauma story and like more detail on that, I do have that on my page. I just, I really, it, it's not that I feel uncomfortable continuing to talk about it or getting more into detail. It's just, I feel like it's not the most important part when it comes to the NDE portion of it. Um, that's why I didn't get too far into detail. I know people are probably going to ask that question. Why I didn't, this fly is driving me crazy. I'm sorry. sorry. Why I didn't get too far into, you know, the step-by-step -step of why and how it happened. But, you know, essentially he scoped me out for six months after just seeing me when he got a flat tire and literally picked me as a target. And it was 
and it, let's say I left, if I had to guess the library, probably about six, six thirty PM. I didn't get back to my dorm, like on the highway back to where my dorm was until sunrise. So that entire night was just this entire trauma and this entire experience. And then when I look at it from a time perspective in the hospital, I was in that hospital waiting room for about 30 to 33 hours, but I wasn't actually there. I went back. So the time kind of weirds me out in a way. Cause like, is there a time difference when you do that kind of thing? Like, I don't know enough about it to, that's why I'm still researching. Like, how is that possible? And if it is, what did I do with the rest of that time? Is there something else that I fixed that I may have gone back on that I just don't know yet or haven't unlocked yet? Um, because that's kind of how our brain works when we go through a traumatic experience. Our brain kind of locks the most traumatic parts away if we can't handle it. Because that's exactly what happened here. The assault, you know, the attempt on my life, you know, the being left for, um, you know, just being left. Let's leave it at that for YouTube purposes. But, you know, just being left all of that was gone. So re-experiencing that and seeing that was just enough of a traumatic experience on its own. Um, and honestly, the entire path started because in 2020, my younger sister passed away unexpectedly and she had just turned 18. And in my trauma, so had I. So for some reason that triggered. And at the time I had no idea why that triggered my brain so much. But now I know it's because I almost did at 18. So my brain kind of was like, hey, maybe you can handle this now. Let me just drop some of this on you, you know, as far as recessed memories are concerned. Um, so I, that's kind of how my story went. Well, CA, thank you so much for sharing your incredible experience with us. After you got out of the hospital, how did you change? It really changed how I looked and felt about myself. You know, because for a really long time, I was embarrassed by what happened to me. You know, you were 18 and you got kidnapped. That's embarrassing. You know, we're not going to tell anybody. And I treated men like dirt, absolute dirt. Um, to some degree, I still do, but I'm a little, you know, a little more healed now. Um, so I try to be a little more polite with men. <laughs> but it changed my perspective to embarrassed and ashamed by what happened to me to like, I'm kind of amazing. Like this, I went and survived that. Like I went through this, this really happened to me, you know, that's incredible. And I want to share about it, you know, like I want to talk about it. I want to share it. You know, I don't, I no longer want to hide what happened to me. It kind of felt like a younger version inside of me had been screaming for a really long time. Like, Hey, I didn't get any kind of justice. And now you're not even letting me express it, you know, to now it's like, making peace with that because I'm finally telling my story, you know, especially in the last few months specifically, um, you know, I'm finally telling my story and getting it out there and kind of brings closure, I guess you could say to the entire ordeal. Have you noticed since leaving the hospital that you have any other or any new abilities that you haven't had prior? I, I, Okay. There's a lot to this. So I don't see the world the same as everyone else. And I kind of hinted at this when we went into the live. Number one, I can see in the dark. I don't need lights. I don't, 
I don't know if I got cat vision when this happened or whatever the case may be, but I can completely see in the dark. Um, I can also read energies. And when I say that, I don't mean like I look at somebody and I see an aura. It's not like that. This is more like I feel it as soon as I walk up or I'm around somebody. And it's usually either like, it's not even positive or negative. It's just, it, it's tied to emotion. Um, because I have borderline, I was confused about emotions for a really long time. And again, it wasn't until this year that I really kind of channeled and mastered this so-called skill that I've developed. Um, because now I, I have an emotion wheel and I kind of understand emotions a little better. But I can feel deep emotions, like deep sadness, very deep anger or, you know, extreme happiness. Um, whenever somebody's feeling something deeply, if that makes sense. So if I'm, let's say at a bar and there's a guy sitting there with a shot glass and he's just sitting there with a shot glass, not drinking it. He's not, he's just sitting there. He's staring in space. He's looking at the shot glass. I can feel that pain that he's feeling. You know, I can feel like that man's probably on his last shot and I need to do something. And I do. I usually go over and I'll say something because I'm a comedian off the wall. Completely crazy. Like, hey, the tourist in the parking lot said you dropped your straw. And he looks at me like I'm nuts. But that's okay because I'm just going to disappear like I never came to him. And he's going to forget I even came up over to him. But he's not in the same mindset. Now he's thinking about that crazy girl who just came over and said some off the wall stuff. And, you know. He's not thinking about what he just was, or he's not in the same mindset he was a few minutes ago before I'd walked over, you know? Um, it's called transmuting energies. And I've really learned to master it in the last year or so. Um, to the point where it's now kind of fun for me to do so, um, just because people are angry and, you know, especially people get into altercations with me, I'm I'm transferring all that energy and they're just, it's frustrating to the spirit. It really is when you're really angry with someone and it's not working because it's a constant deflection of that negative energy. It's, it's very, it can be toxic. I can get very toxic with it. I need to stop doing that, but sometimes you gotta let people be angry, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but that's, that's really the two major, but I've also, I've seen, I want to say it's kind of like I've seen my purpose. Everything was kind of laid out for me already, you know, um, not necessarily like when I will die or things like that. Like, I don't know how old I will be. I don't know, you know, what stage of my life I will be in, but I know around the general time frame that I'm, my time is done, so to speak, just because it's a series of events that I've already seen that lead up to it. So let's say if there's six events on the timeline that I was shown, and I've already done three. I already know I'm halfway done my time here because that sixth event is the last one that I was shown and nothing has come after. All right. We're, getting, in, we're getting into some area that we haven't covered yet. You were talking about being shown a timeline. When, yeah. When and how did that happen? When I went back, when I was in the hospital. Because um, things, it, I wish I had a better understanding to explain this. It was like, 
a completely, I don't want to say a different world because it wasn't, it was the same world, but it was during that walk towards the highway Mm -hmm. that I was being shown things, little events. And it's kind of, it, it felt like a snack pack, so to speak. It was like, you know how like when you see something in your dreams and then like a week later, you know, like let's say somebody's putting lotion in your hand and you remember getting that lotion in your dream. And then a week later, somebody's giving you lotion. You're like, wait a minute, I've seen this. It's kind of like that, that deja vu aspect. But this is more detailed. You know, this is like, these are the major things that are going to be done before you go. Now, go could mean anything. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to die. Go could mean many things. Um, I don't know what it means, but it's a final, something final after that last event, if that makes sense. I'm trying to explain it the best way that I understand it, but I try not to think too deeply into it because then I will go nuts because then I'll be crazy trying to figure out the timeline. Like, does that mean I'm going to die? You know, nobody wants to know when they're going to die. So that's kind of why I never looked into it because I'm like, all right, well, it is what it is. Let me just make sure I'm living my life to the best of my abilities because I may not be here for very long. So, because I also have health problems and mental health conditions. So I have a lot going on over here that uh, I need to make sure I'm doing what I got to do. That's why you said I'm very busy. I keep myself very busy. That's exactly why, because I have in my head, limited time, whatever that may mean. Um. I have a friend of mine and we get into, you know, what we consider ascension and the mind, body, soul, and spirit kind of thing. Um, and I've, I've tried to sit and try to figure this out with her, but we haven't quite figured it out yet, but I just know that I see things very differently, but I've only seen it when it comes to myself. You know, I can't, somebody can't just come up to me. I'm not like a psychic or a medium. They had come up and say, hey, my Uncle Fred died five years ago. Did he have any final messages for me? And I'm checking like it's a mailbox. You know, it doesn't it doesn't work like that. You know, I have no connection to the dead. You know, um, it's just kind of like messages. And I don't even know who they came from, but they were clear messages. And I think now that, you know, I'm on more of a sober track and my mind is clear, some of them are starting to fine tune themselves Um, To the point where I'm like, oh, I've already seen and experienced two of these events. Two of these events are already gone. And I'm not going to tell you the exact number of events they showed me. It was not six. It it doesn't matter because I don't want anybody else trying to figure out it either. But um, I was like, okay, so there's two already gone. And I've only, it's only been less than a year. Like, am I running out of time? You know, now I'm like going crazy in my head. Like, uh uh-oh, you know, doesn't matter what the extra number was that they gave me it just means that like things are going very quickly you know so now I'm like trying to find more answers at this point now that like I said I'm clear-headed and I have a little bit better of an understanding of things this fly is driving me absolutely insane it refuses to leave me alone (laughs) (laughs) I think it's because I have my coffee over here and I'm right by a window so uh, it keeps like flying out and flying back in sorry it's driving me nuts so it's all right People say that on the other side, there is no time. It could seem like you're there for years or, or lifetimes or whatever. So even though you saw these events from a space that there was no time, in this realm, 
whatever events you have left may not play out until you're 100 years old. You're right. That's why I try not to read too deeply into that part because I'm like, I will go insane. Besides getting those downloads and witnessing and guiding yourself out of the forest, did anything else happen during your NDE or during your experience on the second time around when you were in the hospital and traveling back in time? I mean, even when I went and I did my trauma narrative and I went back and basically relived it from myself perspective, not the outside hospital part, I still don't remember that walk for the most part to the highway through the woods. That's where a lot of that, what you call download took place. I don't remember that at all. I remember the highway and walking down the highway. In real time, do you remember the walk? In real time, I remember like the smells and the feelings and like the like guiding, but I don't remember much else because this is where I was getting those scenes. Kind of like they say your life flashes before your eyes. It was literally like that, but it was my future. And I wasn't dying that I know of. You know, I was pretty, I was in pretty bad shape. Don't get me wrong. Like it was, it was a hit or miss for a little bit, whether or not I'd actually get back because it was a long walk and I had no shoes, but it was kind of like I saw my life in events, major events, um, just flash before my eyes during that time specific faces specific areas that i can't quite recognize because i had never traveled at this point i'd never even been out of the tri-state area you know um but places that now i recognize you know um when my little sister initially passed in october of 2020 in january i went to arizona it was the first time i just hopped on a plane and flew across the country i That was one of the events because it was a turning point in my mentality as an adult. And this was before I even went to the hospital and went back. But I know now this was one of those events. So that's kind of what I mean. Like I know specific places that I've been more recently that are part of that timeline that I've already seen that I just didn't know was an actual place, you know, because I had never been out of the area and I've never been much of a traveler in my experience or my, my youth. So do you think it's possible that you've changed your future? And what I mean by that is since you went back and re-experienced all those things that now those future events that you think are going to happen are now not going to happen. See that I want to say, that the things that I've seen are an indefinite. They cannot be changed. They are a def- like a definite, because a lot of it is surrounds death or new life or things like that. Um, now, as far as places, those can absolutely change. Um, but as far as the events that I've seen, there's such a, like a, um, a final if that makes sense, like such a definite end or start that I don't think that could change because that's not up to me. 
It's just something that I'm going to experience, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I understand that. I guess what made me think that is seeing yourself go to Arizona was something that happened before you got the download. Right. Yep. So I was thinking that, well, maybe the other downloads were just something that could have could happen, but now it's possibly changed or the future is possibly changed in it and they won't. I mean, it, it could. As far as I know, I want to say no, just because the trip to Arizona was fueled by the death of my sister, something mm-hmm. final. Mm-hmm. And it was something that was going to happen no matter what, because I was losing my mind, literally. So I had to get away. Um, As far as where I went, that could have changed. Absolutely. But I think giving me that download first kind of made it like, okay, I've already done this. You know, why am I getting this? And that's when I first thought it was that situation where you see your life flash before your eyes. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense because I know I've already survived this. So why am I seeing this? Like, this is something that already happened. But I think when I think back to it, it was more like, let's show her something she's already done to let her know what's coming next will absolutely happen to, you know, in that sense. Hmm. That's the best way I can think to kind of wrap my head around it. Now, mind you, this may not be right, but that's how I kind of wrapped my head around it. Did they ever catch the guy? No, because I never told anybody. And the reason that I didn't tell anybody was, you know, I mentioned it earlier. I didn't know who this man was. Um, When he attacked me and I told you he kind of laid everything out like a villain story. He told me from start to finish, like he was only there because he had a flat tire. He was dropping something off. And after that, he was just stalking me, pretending to go to that school to kind of get like a relationship, so to speak, or a rapport with me so that he could uh, kidnap me because he had an obsession with me. Um, He kept, sorry, I wanted to switch areas because that fly was driving me nuts. He kept mentioning um, Rapunzel. It's like the hair, the golden hair. Um, It seemed like he was, I don't want to say uneducated, but he didn't have normal speech patterns. You know, he said, babe, every other word. He was clearly very unhinged. Um, but he kept mentioning like Rapunzel and things like that. Um, and while he's like stroking my hair, but he laid everything out in such a way where he literally from start to finish explained how he did not go to my school at all. Like I thought, you know, he never went to my school. He was literally just stalking me because of his obsession with me because he wanted to find that moment where he could kidnap me because at one point, you know, in this, this is where it really hit for me. And <laughs> sorry, he, uh, when I met him, I was already inside of the library. Like I'd seen him around outside, but we hadn't established a rapport yet. When I first actually officially met him, I was coming out of the bathroom and I dropped a book. And there's kind of like a little area by where the staircase is, where the bathroom is. He was in that area walking out and picked up my book and handed it to me. And we started a conversation. And this is where it like kind of really hit home for me because this was the part in the conversation that he explained. You know, I'm so happy you dropped your book that day because I was waiting 
for the chance to talk to you because he had been stalking me and watching me. You know, like he couldn't obviously could control me dropping the book that just happened. But he was just waiting for that opportunity to be able to have that conversation with me. Because now after that, every time you see him, it's a wave, you know, or a hey, or how you doing? You know, he there's no way that I could have reported it to the police because I don't know if anything he told me was true. I couldn't even trust my memory for the color of the car. There was nothing that was left behind or, you know, could I have gotten a tack kit? Yes, absolutely. I could have. But I was barely 18. I didn't know anything about any of that. And, you know, by the time I like I didn't even again, I didn't even know any of that happened. Because when it, I got back to my dorm, I literally took a shower, and went to sleep. I had no memory when I woke up of that portion of my attack. So even if I wanted to get a kit, I didn't know to get it. So there was no way for me to even pinpoint to tell police who this man was, where to find him, or what happened. Mm -hmm. How did you get back to your dorm? I walked. Oh, wow. The entire way, down the highway. Yep. And I, I have an affinity for the sunrise now because when I was on my way back, it had just, the sun had just started to rise when I got back into a familiar area, you know, like around the area of, let's say the library or nearing towards the actual campus of my school. So it was kind of like, you know, they say like sunrise is a new beginning. And that's kind of what it felt like, you know, like I made it, you know, like go me. Because <laughs> it was, I remember bits and pieces of that walk just because it was very, painful. I had no shoes, really. My shoes were trashed. And I wasn't wearing like, hey, we're gonna walk for several miles kind of shoes, you know. Um, my clothes were just like, tattered. They were just wrecked. I was covered in who knows what. My hair was probably the nicest part because he picked all the dirt out of my hair. So that was probably the nicest, you know, well put together part of my person by the time I got back, but nobody was home when I got back to my dorm. You know, my roommates stayed out a lot. We were in college. They're out drinking. They're out with friends. They're out doing things. Nobody was there. So they didn't ask any questions because it wasn't abnormal to not come home all night. You know, it wasn't abnormal for me to go to sleep for a long period of time because I was probably up the entire night before, you know, which I was, but not in the sense that they were thinking, you know, so it was just a really long walk. And I just, I remember because there's a, um, a Robert Frost poem um, for the woods. And it was the same line from that poem. Like I kept repeating it over and over and over again in my head. And I don't know why, because I think at that point, I only read that poem maybe once or twice in high school. Um, and it, it was just really strange to me. And I'm trying to think of the actual name of the poem. Um, it's like through the, through the woods on a snowy night or something like that. Is it that. like the road not taken maybe? Yeah, I, maybe I'd have to double check. Um, I can't think of the name of it offhand. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the line in the poem is the woods are lovely, dark and deep. 
but I've got promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep, miles to go before I sleep. And it was that part that I just, I kept repeating it over and over and over again to the point where now as an adult, I'm like ready to get it tattooed on my body just because it has such a significant meaning to me every time I hear it now. Because again, I have no idea why at this time, this random part of a 1922 poem that I've only read maybe once in my life came so vividly and so clearly to me over and over again. It's just so strange to me. And it still is. I still have no reason for that or, or um, explanation for it. Since you left the hospital, have you had any other out-of-body experiences? No. Any because other... even... Sorry. Oh, it's okay. I was going to say, what about any other supernatural experiences? Honestly, no. Because even when I did my trauma narrative and I finished my trauma narrative and I went back and I unlocked fully all of those recessed memories of what happened to me. It wasn't even like an out-of-body experience. It was literally just me reliving it again, you know, from my point of view for what I could relive anyway. Cause like I said, there's some parts where in the woods and stuff, I, I don't know what happened and I don't remember that part just either I didn't unlock yet or I'm just not supposed to know, or I'm not really sure, but I haven't really had any kind of, let's say supernatural or out of body experience since then. You know, I've really fine tuned details on things I've already seen from those events, but that's about it. Um, things have kind of hit what I like to call a happy normal. So, um, and I'm grateful for it. All right. Well, after watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you. Are you up sure. for that? Yeah. What's the best way to contact you? Uh, well, I have all social media platforms or um, my website has a contact me form. Somebody can just submit there too. What's your website? It's uh, Christiane. It's C-H-R-I-S-T-Y-A-N-N at canoble.com K-A-N-O-O-B-L-E. Do you have a YouTube channel or a Facebook page? All of my social medias and my YouTube are under the letter C, the letter A, and Canoble. Are you working on anything that you want us to know about? Uh, well, since my trip to the hospital, my diagnosis with a few mental health conditions, I've been working on a mental health project where I um, conduct interviews with people around the world with different mental health conditions to kind of give an in-depth look at what life is like with those. Um, that's at mentallykillproject.org. And I'm also working on a book for my trauma um, with all of this in there uh, that I'm hoping to launch within the next two years. So I mean, other than that, I do comedy up and down the uh, East Coast and I have my business and that's about it. <laughs> Do you have any dates that we can let people know where to find you? Uh, well, I will be posting them on my website. I'm waiting for the flyer. For right now, I try not to do more than two shows in a month just because I have so many other things to do. Um, I believe it's November 16th is my next show, uh, but I'll post the flyer to my website as soon as I get it. All right. I think your story would make an amazing movie or television movie. Yeah. I, I wrote a little... Um, like a silent film for it. Um, I'm working on filming that. I'd like to take that to a film festival to start. 
Um, I'm okay with it being on a film adaptation as long as it's not on Lifetime. <laughs> just because it felt so much like a Lifetime movie, I couldn't pause in the moment. Mm-hmm. I just, I can't. Uh, I cannot. <laughs> well, who do you think would be best to play you? To play me? Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Um, wow, that's a really good question. Hmm. Or who would you like to see play you? Emma Watson. Emma Watson. Is that the I one? think she'd do is a she, fantastic is she job. she Harry Potter? She is, yeah. She also okay. was in Little Women. Or uh, maybe, well, nah, Kiara Knightley's too too much but definitely definitely emma watson i think she has a great range when it comes to emotions mm-hmm. so i think she she'd probably play that part really well cool well so if emma watson is watching this well maybe now that we're putting it out in the universe it'll happen yeah that would probably be like i'd probably put that on my my um my tombstone when i eventually go like was played by emma watson mm-hmm. there you go <laughs> You mentioned earlier that if people want to know more details of the entire experience, they can see that where? Um, it's on my YouTube page under C.A. Knubel. Well, Christiane, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Sure. Um, live your life with intent. And what I mean by that is to do everything with a purpose, but make that purpose your purpose. Do things for yourself and for no one else, and live your truth. doesn't matter if anybody else believes it. It's your truth, so make sure you live in it. Thank you for that message, and thank you again for coming and sharing your experience with us. I really appreciate you, and I wish you the best. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara Podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.